Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Birdland. Um... Here's another episode of Birdland tonight. Orioles unfortunately lose to the Athletics, score of three to one. But uh, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, Michael. Glad to be doing the show with, with you. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the Athletics extend their winning streak to 12 games, um, and the Orioles continue to lose at home. That this actually makes them one and seven at home now, which is, you know, it's been hard to watch them at Camden Yards with the fans finally back, and you know, still losing all the time. Yeah, it's bizarre. The The road home thing is bizarre. But the story of this game for me, and we'll get into the start by Jorge Lopez and the bullpen and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me, this is just yet another example of the Orioles' offense, surprisingly, being unable to score rounds. I was looking at the, you know, we've lost now, what, three out of four games. And in those three losses, the Orioles have scored a total of, let, 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 I, I got to do the math here, that the Orioles <laughs> have scored a total of one run, right, in those in those three losses. Uh, and so, surprisingly, I think go, go, going into the season, the off season, uh, going into the season, the offense seems to be more of a problem than our pitching. Yeah, definitely. It, it's really just been so frustrating because when you look at the lineup and you look at the names, especially after 2020, you know, you don't hate what you see. And I think really the approach has been an issue, which we should definitely get into later on in the show. Um, but something I also wanted to bring up is that the Orioles are actually one in six now against left-handed starters. So that definitely seems to be an issue for their offense too. Um, you know, just seeing people come in from the left side. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. Because Mullins has hit really well against left-handed pitching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I mean, you talk about the approach and, and the names, what for me is even more like frustrating is because you're right. We have some names and based on their kind of track record last year, you thought, okay, this could be a good offensive team. But that wasn't even accounting for Cedric Mullins, who's been unbelievable. Yeah, and so the fact that definitely. he's playing so well and our offense still isn't scoring is mind-boggling. And you wonder what the left-handed pitcher – I didn't know that stat. That's interesting to me. But you wonder like DJ Stewart, for example, how much he would be in the lineup if it wasn't for injuries like to, to Santander – um, but but even guys that you would think would kind of feast on left-handed pitching, uh, pitching guys like Austin Hayes, um, and maybe Austin Hayes still getting comfortable after the injury and right, but he does he does not look good. So yeah, the left-handed pitching is that's a surprising stat. Just like the home stat, surprising. It's kind of too small to draw too many conclusions. Yeah. But yeah, th- those are interesting, uh, certainly interesting and concerning numbers. Yeah, definitely. And- Cody says, bring back Hunter Alberto. Uh, VC used to kill lefties. Yeah. Um, but definitely something we wouldn't want to bring him back for. And something that I think is really contributing to our offense being so bad really is the approach, as I mentioned earlier. Um, the Orioles are actually the worst in the MLB in terms of taking or swing percentage. They only take half of the pitches that they see. 
which is the worst in the MLB. And I think that must be correlating with the fact that we have the worst on-base percentage and the worst OPS in the MLB. Uh, I just think that guys aren't, you know, being patient enough, forcing these pitchers to work and really make mistakes. Um, there are so many innings where, you know, I just felt so frustrated, like the fifth and the sixth where Urban was getting a little tired. They could have just worked him a little bit more to really get him to make more mistakes. Yeah, and you saw that. You see that in some at-bats, like Severino, when he got the single to get the RBI, he worked that at-bat. But that yes, was the that exception, was not the rule, right? And you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, the the epitome for that, like the microcosm of our team, he's an extreme example. But Ryan Mountcastle, I feel like every time I look up, he's in an 0-2 or 1-2 or or count. Um, yeah. And every time you look up, 0-0, oh oh, you know he's swinging at the first pitch no matter where you mm-hmm. throw it. Um, and that's yeah. part of like Ryan Mankhouse's MO, right? Like we knew that about him, that he's kind of a free swinger. Um, but it's almost, you're right, it's become kind of contagious where you have these pitchers going deep into games. Our guys going four innings. There are the guys going deep into the game because um, they're getting quick outs because we don't work the count well. And yeah. And I don't know if it's like how much of that is you have players who have been slumping, right? Like Trey Mancini seems to be coming out of the slump but you have everyone else, uh, almost everyone else in the lineup who, are, who is slumping. And so with that, you start pressing, you start swinging earlier in the count, like kind of all that Definitely. compounds. And I'm, I'm, I wonder kind of by midseason or by the end of the season, how kind of where we are in, the, in, in, those, in those stats. But certainly like watching Oakland hit and watching us hit, like <laughs> you could just tell different approaches, right? Yeah, so different. And definitely on Mountcastle, um, you know, some of the advanced stats show like his barrel rate and his average exit velocity that, you know, he should be getting a lot more hits. But I think, yeah, like you're saying, he's just pressing so hard that it's hard for him to really, you know, be able to drive a pitch the other way or hit it up the middle just for those nice singles so that he can build up to more extra base hits. Um, but yeah, the athletics approach was obviously very different. And they even in the second inning where they scored two out of their three runs, they really showed quite a bit of small ball, the ability to move guys around. Um, they scored on a ground out, on a single, and then they actually did a hit and run, which you never really see anymore. Um, they definitely play very different than the Orioles. Yeah, and that's to me, that was the story of the game with the second inning where Jorge lost control a little bit. Um, yeah, the two walks did, early. Yeah, and they did play small ball, and they took advantage, right? They, they took advantage and got their runners in, where we were in kind of a similar position uh, both in the fourth with runners in the second and third, and then the sixth inning where we got the bases loaded and one out, um, being unable to in any way. I mean that pop up right with 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 uh, I think it was Gal- Galvis was up with the pop up with the runner bases loaded. Like the last thing you want in that situation is a pop up, right? So um, the, our inability to yeah. get runs in late in the game and their ability to get runs in early in the game was kind of the difference in this baseball game. Yeah, definitely. And you know, there's a lot of comments coming in about. You know, I'll take three runs by our pitchers every night. And, you know, we just need to get a few runs in from this lineup right now. We're not asking them to score 10 or even five. Just three would have at least pushed it to extra innings. And, yeah, I just think we really need to change our approach, stop pressing, and, um, yeah, just really, you know, get through the lineup and get guys moving, put it in play, and force them to make mistakes. Um, and Yeah, yeah, yeah but just, just real quick, Michael, to, to, to that yeah, point, sure. I think the sixth inning – was the perfect example of that where Severino worked the count yeah. and then got that hard hit single. And then Galvis, I believe, I'm testing my memory here, 
But Galvez, I believe, was like first pitch. <laughs> it was first pitch changeup. I think he yep. popped it up. Uh, and so just the um, – and that's so frustrating to see a player work so hard, get that single, next guy up, swing, swings at the first pitch. And, yeah, if, if it's a good pitch to hit, but fine. But you take the first pitch and you pop it up, like that's, that's, that's what you're going to do with that. Um, yeah. So, so it was just so fresh, and then and then uh, you know we grounded out to end that inning with only scoring one run, which was so frustrating. Um, and after that, yeah. after that, you got the feeling like you know you don't know if you're going to have the opportunity like that again because that doesn't happen all the time in every inning. So, um, yeah, our pitchers played really well, and I don't know if you want to get into Jorge Lopez and our bullpen, but certainly our pitching is not the reason we lost this game. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Madison agrees with you here about this sixth inning being brutal. And so yeah, definitely brutal. Galvis swinging early and then Arias against the guy who really wasn't throwing that hard, um, Petit. So, yeah, that was definitely frustrating. But, yeah, to focus more on the positives in terms of our pitching, um, I, I wouldn't say Lopez was overall that much of a positive. His curveball actually uh, was swung at nine times and was hit every single one of those times. So that was definitely <laughs> a really bad sign. But moving on to the more positive aspect, um, the bullpen came in and threw five scoreless innings. And really, everyone looked great, even Sean Armstrong, who's been getting a lot of hate, or not hate, but a lot of flack from <laughs> well, the Orioles' third line yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's, for, with good reason, he's been bad. Um, can I just say, I just, <laughs> I just pulled up my notes again. Just I'm going to let it go. But that bottom of the sixth inning, we had the bases loaded <laughs> and Mountcastle came up. And there was, I, I almost lost my mind. Bases loaded, Mountcastle was, was up. I, I don't know if it was the first pitch or whatever. A 91-mile-per-hour fastball right down the middle, and Mountcastle yeah. swung right through it. Yeah, and then he ends up striking out on an outside changeup that was about five feet outside. And Palmer was being really nice, saying, oh, it must have looked like a strike cu- coming in. <laughs> but it was so far outside that it was Definitely. so ridiculous that he swung at it. Okay, I'm done with the sixth inning. I'm letting it go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The only thing about um, Jorge Lopez is, I, for me, Michael, with Lopez, he's, to me, the most um, mysterious pitcher on the Orioles. He had one strikeout tonight. This yeah. was in his last start. What, he, he was striking out everybody, right? Like, yeah, no I one could touch his stuff. Strikeouts. Yeah, uh, and all that, like, I think in the first four innings. And then, and then he got tired, and then um, he started to give up some hits. But, yeah. but, but. This go around only one strikeout is bizarre, and, and maybe it goes back to that curveball. I don't know how effective his curveball was last start, but um, certainly curveball wasn't um, that effective this start. No, but the bullpen. Yeah. So the bullpen. Um, I was kind of thinking about this today. So you had uh, <laughs> let me see. You had Lakins, Tate, uh, Salser, and Armstrong. Right. To me, the most pr- surprising thing about this team. Um, is is the bullpen and how well they've pitched, particularly because who's in there, right? Lakins was a waiver guy, right, from the Boston yeah. Red Sox no one wanted. Sol- uh, Tate, the next guy, was traded, bounced around a couple teams, Yankees, then Texas, then, then, then to us, uh, or Texas, Yankees, and then to us. Mm-hmm. But again, a, a failed starter, former, you know, number four overall pick, failed starter who kind of couldn't get it together in the minors, Tate, who's not pitching really well for us. Salser... Yeah. Again, another waiver guy from Tampa Bay who, you know, they didn't want and we just picked them up. And Armstrong, obviously another waiver guy who we just picked up. So it's remarkable to me that yeah. our, not that, that our bullpen's going well, but that all these guys are kind of trash heap guys that we've turned into really, you know, effective arms. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. It's not like they're prospects that we've developed, um, 
you know, throughout their whole careers. Although Tate was a prospect for about a year or two in our system, because I'm pretty sure we acquired him in the Dan Duquette days. Yeah, he um, was part of the was Zach, that the Britton Zach Britton trade. trade? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Zach Britton trade. Yeah, so he's been a prospect for a little while, but yeah, definitely that's a great point. You know, they're all guys who were kind of given up by, given up on by their former teams. And yeah, I think they all have really great stuff. They all throw pretty hard um, and have some really good secondary pitches to work off of it. And they all were really much in control. And for me, that was the most exciting part of the game was watching our bullpen guys uh, come in and strike some guys out, get people out. Solcer striking out the side was, mm-hmm. you know, quite electric. And yeah, I definitely thought that was that was a solid positive to take away from this game, although overall it was disappointing. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Re- just related to that real quick. I was thinking about this yeah, today sure. too. The, I, I was thinking about like, Buckshaw Walter, not just any, but not just Buckshaw Walter. Any manager, I feel like what they get the most flack for is their use of the bullpen, and Definitely. it might be because we haven't had any that many kind of late inning um, leads where we could mess up the bullpen. And when you're behind, it matters less who's in the bullpen. But I mm-hmm. think, I think, I think Brandon Hyde has done a like. I can't even think of examples where he's done the wrong move with the bullpen. Like I think he's done. I know people criticized him for for playing Armstrong tonight, but like you got to throw Armstrong in there sometime. <laughs> but um, I think Hyde has done really well and used his bullpen really well. Yeah, I think the only criticism people have is that he'll pull starters too early, but that's a whole different debate about you know potential injuries and all those sort of factors. And I think a lot of it is the front office pushing him to do that too. Yeah, well, um, I thought the the yeah. um, Melvin for uh, the Athletics, I was shocked. That he kept what's what's his name in oh, for Severino? Yes. Yeah, for Severino. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. He had he really, as Jim Palmer said, he looked like he had no gas left in the tank, but yeah, he managed and I think, to get some outs. Or at well, least he was out Mountcastle. Yeah, he struck out Mountcastle. I think that's why I let him pitch to Severino because he struck out Mountcastle, and I think he got lucky because Severino hit the ball really hard, but just uh, just only a single, and then and 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 then he was pulled. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's that's true. Um, I mean, I think. Lopez tonight had 81 pitches, so there does seem to be yep. a, a bit of a shorter string. And you're right. I don't know how much of that is, you know, we have this whole season to get through. Pitchers didn't throw a lot of innings last yeah, year. Exactly. So, yeah, I think a lot of that could, could, could play into that as well. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, yeah, we can talk about the bullpen a little bit more because Cody's asking a pretty good question. Who does Elias trade away first from the bullpen? Um, which is a really good question. And he even goes further on to say, will we riot if Cesar Valdez is traded away? Uh, which personally would make me pretty upset. But who do you think would be traded away first from the bullpen if you had to choose any of the guys? Um, let's just stick to guys who pitched today out of the four. Yeah, I, you know what? I don't, and I, I, I don't think it's that great of a question by Cody, to be honest. But I, I, I don't, because I, I don't see any of them uh, being traded because. All right, so you have Cole Salser, right, who who couldn't stick anywhere. All of a sudden he has, what, he was okay last year, okay, and now he's having a good, you know, few months. He's not the t- – if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm competing for a playoff spot, I don't think Cole Salser is going to solidify my bullpen and get me over the hump. The only guy is 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 a guy like Valdez who has been dominant. Um, and, and, again, just because his stuff is so different, Though Petit pitched today, and I think they mentioned on the broadcast, it's true. Petit yeah, is, is like Vadez. They're like the same yeah. guy. Um, so maybe Vadez. And of course, T- Tanner Scott is the most, you know, the guy everybody would want because he has the best stuff. But the other yeah. guys, 
I mean, like I just went over, they're waiver guys. Like there's guys you just pick up yeah. off the trash heap. And I don't know. I don't think anybody will want them. I would be surprised if we trade maybe a Paul Fry, but of the players pitched today, I would be surprised if any of them go. Yeah, Josh, to agree with your Paul Fry, that, that that's a pretty good idea. He actually had, by the advanced stats, a fantastic year last year. And I yeah. think he's definitely nearing the end of his contract. And, you know, he's maybe not a guy who Elias sees, you know, staying for the long term. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just wanted to mention one thing, too, about what you were saying about the changeup. Um, so Irvin usually has pretty good horizontal movement on his changeup. But today, um, it was like way above average. I think it was about four inches, moving horizontally four inches above his own average. So I think that had a lot to do with why guys were swinging out of outside of the zone. But again, you know, their approach could have been better and they could have just waited to have to fight off those pitches until there were really two strikes left. Yeah, well, even um, in even yeah. when we had success, Michael, a, a lot of those hits, especially that sixth inning, came off. I'm, I'm going back to sixth inning. I got to let it go. But it came off fastballs. <laughs> they came yeah, off, a lot yeah, of the hits definitely. came off fastballs, right? Definitely. Because the changeup, if you, you weren't hitting the changeup, so, but he also was throwing a lot of fastballs. You just kind of have to wait for that fastball and, and don't miss it when, it, when, when he throws it. Um, so, yeah. yeah hey, can, can we also talk about the Elias interview? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we should take a quick break, but we'll definitely oh, yeah. talk about that first. Do that. All right. All right. See you after the break. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, so what did you think of the Mike Elias interview? Michael, I thought a lot of things. First of all, I <laughs> thought it was it was a uh, it was super fast. That was the fastest like top of the inning, bottom in the interview you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah, it's I like, know. They were in, like Mike Elias was paying players just to make it they get outs real fast. Like it was so it was three up and three down on both sides, and so it was just a really quick interview which made me laugh. Um, but yeah. no, he he mentioned a couple things. Um, he talked about first of all, he mentioned that things were going really well. And it stuck out to me that he said um, at Bowie, but he also said at Florida, and he also said at the, the Dominican Republic. Um, and that stuck yeah. out to me because Dan Duquette would have never said things are going well in the Dominican Republic and, and the <laughs> Dominican Republic for for um, in terms of baseball. The other thing yeah, is definitely. we've been getting, Michael, I don't know how much you pay attention to it. I pay attention to it too much to J- uh, Jemai Jones' stat lines at the alternate site, but he mentioned... He mentioned that these, you know, they're playing the Nationals a bunch and they're releasing the box scores. Um, but he said, like, don't like, he doesn't get too excited about minor league simulation games. So I think like for fans, including myself, anyone who gets excited that Jemai Jones goes, you know, three for four with a home run and says, let's call up Jemai Jones. Um, I don't think Mike Elias makes that direct correlation 
to say, oh, he's playing well in minor simulation games. Let's call him up right, right away. I don't think that's happening. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Cody might disagree with you saying that we should call Richie Martin based on his performances. but <laughs> Yeah, but uh, well, that's fine. But I think Mike Elias would disagree with Cody and say it's yeah, yeah. just a minor league simulation game. Like that's, and it's for the Nationals every yeah. single time. Maybe this says more about the Nationals or something than it does about us. Um, <laughs> uh, but but he did make a, a point that I thought was was really interesting and really important. The, the idea of that Norfolk will now, because a lot of the guys in the alternate site, he said, we'll go right to, to Norfolk. And this is, um, yeah. and he says the things that are unique about this Norfolk site or that this Norfolk team is that there's so many um, young prospects on the team. And yes, if you go back here. two, three years ago, we would have a bunch of veterans, a bunch of um, uh, veteran players just in AAA kind of just in case. Um, but our young prospects who might come up and, and make a difference kind of always stayed at Bowie. And a lot of players, right, would just kind of skip Norfolk and just go right from Bowie to the Orioles, these young young um, prospects. But I think we're, that's changed this year, where if you look at, especially in the pitching side, Wells, and he mentioned all these guys, Wells, yeah. Lothar, Bauman, um, three guys who are young prospect pitching arms, three guys who are also on the 40-man um, who mm -hmm. will be pitching at, at Norfolk. And he all, also mentioned, related to those guys, that pretty much anyone, because the year as it is, especially if you're a pitcher, the year being as it is, last year being, you know, as it was without it, without, without the innings, like we mentioned before, um, like everyone's fair game to play this year if they're on the 40-man. So he hinted at that we could expect at some point this year to see Wells and Bauman and Lothar, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, definitely. I, I I was really excited about the prospect. Well, sorry, not trying to make a pun by saying the word prospect there, but by the prospect <laughs> of all of these guys getting called up to the team. Um, I remember watching Alex Wells on the Frederick Keys, rest in peace to them. Uh, hmm. And yeah, just being excited by all this stuff. And, you know, it's a really cool story being from Australia. But yeah, I think definitely all those prospects instead of just veteran guys, as you were saying, being in AAA definitely speaks to the quality of our minor league system and how that's improved under Mike Elias and in the past three years. Um, and yeah, I think also our old regime used to kind of have a lot more prospects in Bowie so that they could easily come up to the team, um, you know, just like a half hour drive down 95. But I definitely think it makes sense to challenge the prospects more and have them face the AAA guys who are often players who have been in the major leagues for years. Um, you know, if you look at an average AAA roster, um, of a team's affiliate, you know, you'll probably recognize quite a few names on that team because they've, they're guys who really have experience in the major leagues. So I definitely think that's a positive. And yeah, maybe we'll have to make a road trip to Norfolk uh, when it's safe to do so. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, I mean, all you have to do is like, <laughs> I did it. You look back at the 2018, so right before Michael Elias got here. And I think it also has to do with the fact that not just the distance that Bowie was closer, but now it has to do with the fact that we just have a lot more prospects, right? So like it's just exactly, naturally yeah. like you can't fit them all. <laughs> you got to spread them yeah, out. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So, but if you look at 2018, you know, right when Michael Ice got here, are are the 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 pitchers in Norfolk were Jeffrey Ramirez, Jason Aquino, David Hess, Tim Melville, Jimmy Yacobonis, uh John Martinez, Jolie Rodriguez, like no prospects on this list. And you go to the infield, Drew Doche, G 
Garibes Rosa, Luis Sardinas, like <laughs> Jacob DeGrom was in the outfield along with Michael Saunders in the outfield. There was just a bunch of kind of these veteran yeah. career minor leaguers or four A players, yeah. um, but not guys that were on your third, even a team thir- 30 man top prospect. And now Norfolk is going to be full yeah. of guys on our 30 man prospect list. Yeah, no, I definitely think that it's really interesting how they've had to organize it differently. And in some ways, it's almost a challenge to have so many prospects because you have to think about how are we going to keep these guys developing? Who do we want to be close to home in terms of Bowie versus Norfolk? Um, but yeah, I definitely think it's important to challenge the prospects who are more experienced, really give them a taste of facing different major leaguers um, instead of just giving them the immediate double bump from Bowie to the major leagues. I think that's really challenging. You know, maybe could have been part of the reason why some of our prospects have struggled in the past. Um, other than just having, you know, a rather bare minor league system. Yeah, and again, in the in the Mike Elias interview, he talked about how he didn't put much stock in the simulation games, and but people are going crazy over them. And it makes me <laughs> think that once, like the minor league games just start, I think in two weeks when they get start getting the minor league games, and the 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 day Jemai Jones goes three for four in a minor league game. Like, don't get on Twitter because <laughs> Twitter is going to be all about we need Jemai Jones right now here in the majors. Um, and maybe we do, but something we know about Mike Elias, he's been really honest about everything, I think. That's what I appreciate about I him. Agree. You compare yeah. his interviews with Dan Duquette interviews, and I'm a Dan Duquette guy, but Dan Duquette would like, you could ask him, how is the weather today? And he would find a way to get around the question or something. <laughs> but but, um, but Mike Elias is very honest. He's been very de- deliberate about not bringing up guys early to kind of learn in the majors, right? Like he is Definitely. making sure they dominate at each kind of level and then get the call up. And maybe he'll make us an exception for someone like Adley Rutschman because he's an exception. But guys like Jemai yeah. Jones and guys like Lothar and guys like Wells, they're going to have to prove it at that level before they even get a chance to call up. If anything, Elias will wait a month too long than a month too early. At least that's my impression of Elias thus far. Yeah, which I think is honestly the right way to do things. You know, why waste a prospect? And sometimes it's the guys who aren't even on your top 30 list who end up being solid players for your franchise for years to come. So, you know, why rush them? Why force them up to the major leagues when, I mean, I want to see us win more and I wish we had scored more than one run today. Yeah. You know, and I'm someone who usually just focuses on the major league team. So, you know, I don't really get much joy out of our minor league teams winning, but... I want us to be ready for the long haul. And I really want these guys to have a fair shot at development. And we saw what happened with Richie Martin when he was a rule five pick and he had to be in the major leagues. You know, he, he made some amazing plays defensively. I remember a couple home runs he had that were pretty clutch and great moments, but overall he struggled on the season. And, you know, I, I bet he's really learning a lot at the alternate site this year. And I'm excited to see how he and Jemai Jones do perform when they eventually come up because, I honestly think I, I think Galvis has done, you know, the stats don't lie. He's done a great job so far, but he's obviously not our long-term answer there. Um, and I don't really see Ruiz and definitely not Urias as our long-term answers at second base. So, you know, at least for the near-term future, before Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg and all those guys come up, I think that Richie Martin and Jemai Jones could be, you know, some decent pieces for the next two or three years at least. So yeah, why it, rush them and and not allow them to be as successful as possible? Yeah, and and they may listen. We, lo- we just lost three to one, so our concern is the offense. 
And if you exactly. if you are counting on Richie Martin and Jemiah Jones to help your offense, I would come back <laughs> at you saying point. saying our two our two best offensive prospects the past couple of years have been Austin Hayes and Ryan Mattcastle. How how yeah. they doing right now? I think Mattcastle yeah, is like over for fifty, and uh, Austin yeah. Hayes batting one ninety right now. And those are our two best offensive prospects. So hitting yeah. major league hitting is hard, guys. And so Richie Martin, Jemiah okay. Jones is not going to turn the offense around. Austin Hayes playing better. Ryan Mattcastle playing better. We'll do a lot more than. I think Jemai Jones coming up uh, to, to help our team offensively. Yeah, that's a great point. I think Mount Castle is over his last 23. And I may have mentioned this before, but he is doing above average in terms of the advanced stats um, and needs to improve his approach a little bit. And Hayes, yeah, I mean, he hasn't really been, been able to play that many games this year. So I'm excited to see what he can do in a larger sample size, as well as Mount Castle. I mean, the season really just started, even though, I feel like during COVID and everything, everything feels so much longer. Like it's hard to believe that the season is really only three weeks old. Yeah, but, and I think uh, we definitely for fans need to be too, right? And let these guys develop. Yeah, because every game feels like yeah, feels like you want to kind of overreact and make all these moves just exactly. based on one game. But it's a long season. We have to be patient. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's very different. I think also last year is totally skewing our views. I mean, by this point last year, the season would have been a third of the way over, and at this a third of the way through the season last year, we were actually in a playoff spot, I'm pretty sure. So I can definitely see why we have this angst and frustration. Like, why can't we just win and, you know, do everything we can to win now? Which I think for the most part, they they pretty much are doing other than not rushing up some prospects. But I just think it's a challenging situation. And what I would like to see improve more than anything is, you know, I've been preaching this a little too much this episode, but is the approach. Uh, we just need to take more pitches. We need to see what the pitcher has. We need to fight off more pitches until we get a mistake and then punish that mistake. And I think that's what guys like Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes need to and can do to be successful at the plate. Yeah, certainly something to watch for in this series against the A's. Can we improve in our place, place discipline and be a little bit more patient? I think that's definitely something to look for. Exactly. Um, yeah, we have a comment here. This is a rather unfinished comment, but I'm excited to see what Dark Sage has to say. Um, so definitely send in that second comment and we'll put it up. But in the meantime, yeah, I just, you know, wanted to kind of get, what are your thoughts about going into the game tomorrow? Um, we actually sent Dean Kramer down about a week ago after his last start, even though he performed decently well, um, because we were going to play means on normal rest as the starter tomorrow. But now they've decided to give him an extra day of rest and pitch him on Sunday. So we're going to have a bullpen game. And the bullpen did great today, but how do you think they'll fare tomorrow? And how do you think we'll utilize all of our different pitchers? Maybe some of the Rule 5 guys will find their way in? I Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, I, I imagine we see from we would see Wells. But the yeah, it's weird to me, right? Because the, the logic for, for setting down Kramer um, was because it wasn't a – you know, he would – it wouldn't affect anything because we'd had the extra two off days. How can I have two off days in a week and then also have a bull, bullpen game, Michael? Like, I don't understand <laughs> how that works. How can I have two off days and you still can't find a starting pitcher? What, what is that? I don't understand yeah, this bull, I don't get the yeah. bullpen game. I don't understand why we're – and we use what? How many bullpen arms did we use today? Oh, we used like four arms? Four. Yeah, four. Yeah, how's this going to work, Michael? I don't know how it's going to yeah, work. I have well, no we'll idea. Have to see. Hopefully, Scroll and Wells just like go off or they just p- keep them in even if we're losing. Maybe they just assume the athletics are unbeatable at this point. Yeah, see, my, uh, my take was we'll I thought for sure we'd 
I thought for sure we win today because just the do theory, right? Like you can't win every single game. Like you win eleven yeah. in a row. Now like you got to lose at some point. Uh, and I thought I thought maybe the time be up, but the time's not gonna be up tomorrow. So so maybe on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, well, with means maybe he can be the stopgap. And yeah, the streak kind of reminds me of Moneyball, where they went on that twenty-game streak in that movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Madison's asking really quickly about. Has the bullpen game been set in stone and that Hyde was non-committal? Uh, I mean, yeah, we, we don't know everything for sure, but I saw that Joe Trezza, who's usually a very reliable source, um, he's the beat writer for MLB.com, and he said that it would be a bullpen game. So, you know, maybe a guy like Wade LeBlanc, who pretty much is a starter and was actually pretty good last year, maybe he'll start and really actually go a pretty long time. So we'll have to see about that. Um, but, yeah, let's let's look at this comment. Dark Sage finally posted a second one. It's taking up the whole screen here. So we're going to have to read through it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah so he's talking about the owner here. I'm sorry. This is this. We're doing a post game show. All right. I, we're just doing a post game show talking <laughs> about the game that just happened. Hey, listen, I, I think the ownership of, uh, of, of John and Lou, who now seem to be taking over a lot of the reins for Peter Angelos. I think they've done a fine job. Um, I think they brought in Mike Elias. They're investing in international um, prospects in that facility, huge facility. They're doing all the right things now. So if you're still talking about the owner, I don't, I don't know where you're coming from. But this is not. I mean, we're just doing a post game show. So Michael, I don't know if you're going to yeah. address it, but it's a post game show. <laughs> no, I mean it's a post game show, but it's still the Orioles. <laughs> Fine. Uh, you know, analysis. But just what I would say really quickly is, yeah, I definitely think anything where money is involved can definitely you know, get out of hand and become too much about driving value out of the franchise, which we've just seen as an issue in the MLB in general with teams not really spending enough on their players at times. Um, but I think right now it's just too early to judge. As you said, it's actually, even though it's still Angeles, it's a totally new group. And, you know, I don't want to be judged by how my ancestors or my parents were, you know, even though often we look up to our parents and how they were, you know, that doesn't mean that we have to be the same people. And I think, yeah, definitely the investment in the international market, which is not only great for the team, but great for the Dominican community. Um, all the RBI programs they're running in the community, um, even the Earth Day, uh, you know, fixing of the garden yesterday was a really great thing mm -hmm. to see. And yeah, just all the rebuilding efforts. I think it's too early to judge really a new ownership group. Uh, if you want to talk about Masson and the reason why we're doing this show and making it virtual and interactive with the fans, that's a different story. And pretty much anything you want to say about that, I would possibly agree with. But yeah, I, I think things are going well. And I just love the team and just love the fans. And I'm just excited to see what happens in the future. Well, yeah, and that and that's the key, Michael. And I'll tell you, and I don't I don't know. Like I, I he might be right, but what I'll tell you in two years if he's right. Because when these prospects come up, we'll see yeah. how much the Orioles invest in the team as far as free agency exactly. goes and all those exactly. moves. So come back to me in two years. But but don't talk to me that we're not we don't want to win when we don't want to win. <laughs> like we're in rebuilding <laughs> mode here. That's part of the point. We have short-term solutions because we're building something here. And so when we build that in two years, and then if we don't invest in the team, I'll be right on board with you, slam the ownership. Definitely. But let's give them a couple years to see if they choose to invest in the team or not. Wait for it. Uh and let's focus on the positive here. I mean, I know we don't always have the best attendance and everything, but I really just love our fan base. Even tonight, 
you know, when the bases were loaded in the sixth inning, it sounded like there were quite a bit of people there, even in a game, you know, where we weren't really doing much offensively before that point. And, you know, it probably won't lead to a playoff team this year. You know, our fans just always seem to be engaged and have that passion. And I think that's the most important thing to focus on is, you know, the people and the people who you interact with and love the game with and love the team with. Yep. I agree, Michael. Yeah. Well, do you have any thoughts about this game or just any more thoughts about, you know, the bullpen game versus Bassett tomorrow, 7.05? No, Michael, I actually have, have no chance. Yeah. I, I don't know because I don't even know who's starting. And the way LeBlanc is interesting <laughs> is an interesting theory. And like he, yeah, he could go, you know, four innings. That's possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I would have to see who's pitching and, um, but I'm not, I'm not, I'll tell you what, I'm not optimistic about it. Um, and I really don't understand it, how you have the off days and still have a bullpen game. I don't, I don't yeah, really get it. They're just being super careful that, you know, some people have different opinions on that. And I know where Josh stands and he definitely does not like, uh, Hyde and Elias, you know, whoever's deciding that pulling the starters early, but well, he'll be hosting the show tomorrow. So. If you can't do it, if, you, if you're going to do a bullpen game, then you should have never set down Kramer. That's what I don't get. Then yeah, you should have kept great, Kramer up here. The whole logic he was behind. pitched yesterday, or pitched today in Bowie. Oh, it's almost like he could have pitched tomorrow for us, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But whatever, you know, life goes on. And <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe our bullpen will kill it. They killed it tonight. So maybe hey, our bullpen's been great all year. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Josh uh, will have his thoughts about that for sure. Tomorrow Absolutely. night. Hopefully it's positive. Hopefully after, you know, somewhat magical win. And uh, sure. he'll be with Joe Chambers, who's another great host. So definitely check us out tomorrow night. Thank you so much, everyone who's watching and listening to the podcast. Definitely stay engaged. Uh, keep commenting and making this, you know, show a little controversial, but also just, just fun and just about baseball and about Orioles and the team we love. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Michael. It's fun. Yeah, this is great. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a good night. See ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.